Hello and a very warm welcome to Series 2 of Working It Out, a podcast series from Advanced. I'm Louise Minchin and over the coming episodes I'm going to be joined by a number of academics and business leaders who will be sharing their take on business leadership and its challenges in the context of our ever-changing political and socio-economic landscape. Nothing seems certain at the moment. However, what is becoming clear is that organisations need to be prepared to adapt and pivot at a moment's notice. As leaders are told to expect the unexpected, what does that mean for the world of work? In this episode, we're going to look at workforce motivation and retention under pressure. And I'm pleased to be joined by Aoife O'Brien, a consultant, podcaster and keynote speaker on the topic of happiness at work. In fact, her very own podcast is entitled Happier at Work. Hello, Aoife. A very warm welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Louise. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I love that idea of being happier at work, actually. And let's start with that, because I suppose about 20 years ago, it might not have been something that we were actually talking about. What does it mean for you? And right now, where do you think we are? Yeah, really good point. And so many people comment on the the title of the podcast, the title of my business. And it's something, you know, as you can imagine, I'm really passionate about as well. You're so right. Like 20 years ago, we wouldn't have even been talking about this stuff. For me, happiness at work is it's really important. It's about fulfilling your purpose at work. It's about having your needs met. It's making sure that your values are aligned with those of the organization so that you can do your best work. And for me, that's kind of the, the crux of it is enabling us to do our best work. And I suppose that is the question. If you're a, if you are happier at work, are you more productive? Are you a better employee? What difference does it make? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, if you think about the work in the context of your broader life, so think now if you are in a job where you're miserable, it kind of seeps into those other aspects of your life as well. So it's, if you know, it seeps into your relationships, it seeps into your home life. But when you're happier at work, you also carry that into other aspects, or at least you don't notice it because there's nothing to be miserable about at work. But happiness at work has been shown to increase profitability, increase productivity. It improves your relationships at work. You get along better with other people. There are so many benefits to being happier at work. So today's podcast, we really want to focus on um, from employers and employees, workforce motivation, also retention under pressure. And I mentioned pressure. I mean, there is so much pressure at the moment, isn't there? Whether it's political pressure, we've got huge changes going on. We've also got a cost of living crisis as well. So what do you see as the main pressures um, at the moment? For me, what I can see, so you might say that the pandemic was, I mean, it was very, and we're still in it. Like I always say the pandemic as if it's in the past, but we're still experiencing this. There's still numbers, there's still cases of COVID-19 happening, certainly um, here in Ireland, and I'm sure it's the same in the UK. Um, But it, like the positive of the pandemic has been that it has given us this opportunity to reflect on our lives and to reflect on work and what brings us joy and how we spend our time, essentially. And I think it's given rise to an opportunity for people to think really about, you know, is this the job that I want to be in? Is this what what I want to still be doing in five years time? And for those who had that opportunity to think and who still stayed in their organisation, they're kind of coming out the other side. We haven't completely 
left the pandemic behind, but they're coming out the other side thinking, okay, so this could be an opportunity for me to switch careers, to go on to study, to do something I'm more passionate about, or to address the issues that I'm I'm having at work, or, or to do a complete about turn and consider something new. So I see from an employer's perspective, I think there's huge amount of pressure with people leaving. It's a candidate's market at the moment. I see a huge amount of um shortage of skills, of specific skills. And I just had this conversation this morning, actually, and it wasn't something I had considered before. But I think, let's say people didn't join or didn't people didn't study a, a specific subject at a specific time. And that's what's leaving us with this shortage now. So if during the pandemic, people didn't go on for to study, for example, software engineering, that they saw this as oh, maybe that's maybe things are going to slow down in that area. So they didn't go on to study in that area. Now we're finding that at the other side of the pandemic, there's fewer people coming through those programs and therefore there's a, sh- a shortage in those specific areas. And so if you think back to not the, not the pandemic, but the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009, it's around that time maybe people thought, maybe this is not the area that I want to go in to study. They might have decided to do something else. And now at that mid-level, what we're finding is there's a huge gap of those skills of people who have that kind of middle amount of experience, not massively senior, but also not not entry level, but it's that kind of middle and there's a huge shortage at that level. So what strikes me from what you're saying from an employer's point of view is it's really key right now to retain people. So how yeah. do you do yeah. that? Well, so a couple of points before I go on, like it's it's much more cost effective to retain an existing employee than it is to hire a new employee. And in fact, if you lose someone from your business, the, the research kind of varies on this, but it says something between 30% and 200% of that person's salary is going, that's how much it's going to cost you to lose someone from the business. And then if you think about it, take a step back and think from the employee's perspective, it's actually, it makes more sense. And we'll probably talk about this in more detail in a, in a second, but it makes more sense if you want to earn more money to leave your current job and to go for something else, because you can ask for a higher salary. You don't have to disclose your current salary. And it's likely, and I've seen research on this as well, that if you stay in your own organization, maybe you get a 2 to 3% pay rise. Maybe organizations are being proactive and saying, we're going to give you 10% this year because of the cost of living. Um, but if you move somewhere else, you'll get around a 20% pay rise. So stepping back to the employer now, and how do we make sure that we hold on to the staff that we have? Like, to me, retention always starts with hiring. So what kind of experience did you give someone when you were hiring them to begin with? Was it a pleasant experience? And, you know, because that lasts. And if you think into the first year of employment, the impression that you have of the organization from, you know, the ad that they put up in the first place for a job, the process that you went through, to get the job, the onboarding process that you went through, and even like before you before your first day, any interactions that you have with that organization. So thinking about that from 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 the very first impression that you have, and if you make that good impression, then it's likely someone will stay longer to begin with. So that's kind of the, the first thing. So thinking about that, that whole experience that you're giving someone, if you give them a poor experience, it's likely that they're not going to stay beyond 
the first year because the entire experience has been a bit poor and you're like, "Mm, I'm not sure if this is all it's cracked up to be. So starting very much with the the hiring and and building on that, for me, it's essential to make sure that someone's values are aligned with those of the organization. So oftentimes we'll see job ads or we'll see, you know, ads for promotions internally stipulating that people need to have X number of years of experience or X type of skills. And what I see is is companies are shifting away from that and they're focusing more on this idea of values and ensuring that values are aligned. So if you bring someone into an organization and their values are aligned with your with your own values and their behavior, that the behavior that they observe in the organization is what they would expect to observe in an organization. So it doesn't go against their values in any way. Then you can teach them. There are some exceptions, obviously, but you can teach them the skills that they need to perform the role. If they have strengths in a particular area or if they have a degree in a particular area, you can build on that and you can teach them what it is that they need to know to be successful in the organization. So that's a kind of the hiring piece. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the um, uh, need satisfaction at work, which ties in strongly with motivation as well. So there's a theory of motivation called self-determination theory, and it's a, a theory of motivation which focuses on intrinsic motivation. So it's this idea of an internalized motivation. So it's not to do with external rewards or pay or anything like that. It's to do with making sure that your needs are being satisfied at work. And we all have three basic universal needs for autonomy, relatedness and competence. So autonomy being a sense of choice and control over what you do and how you do it. Relatedness then is this sense of belonging that you get along with the other people that you're working with, that, that you get along with people in your team, with the leadership. But also I, I like to add this idea that you can relate what you do on a day to day basis to the bigger picture of what the organization is trying to achieve. So you see a direct link between you performing well and the organization performing well. You can see the contribution that you make, whether that is to the organization, it could be to the end clients, but that there's a direct link there. And the third element then is competence. And that's feeling capable of doing your job. And I suppose one easy way to address that is to provide feedback, which I think Oftentimes, managers are kind of neglect, especially if you're doing a, a good job. People assume that you're doing it, that you know that you're doing a good job. But I think it's always really important to reiterate to people that they're performing well. Mm. And with that feedback, is it more, you know, it, this is very simplistic terms, but more kind of like carrot than stick? Do you see what I mean? What works best? Yes, this is. Yeah. So there's theory X and theory Y. I get confused as to which is which, but it is that entire concept of punishing people for doing something bad versus providing them with a reward. But I suppose even even taking a higher level view, it's about intrinsic motivation. So it's not about providing that reward for someone for something well done. It's about it's about um, inciting in them an internal motivation for them to want to do a good job because they feel a sense of control over what they're doing, because they feel that they have a choice and that the decisions are not being made on their behalf that impact their workload or how they do their job, that they get a sense of satisfaction that something is 
challenging enough, but it's not too challenging to be debilitating. And then the other piece being that they get along with other people. And I think that ties in quite well with the values. So if you're working alongside people who have similar values to your own, it's highly likely that you will get along with those people, or at least that you'll see things from their perspective as well. And in addition, knowing the piece that you play, the role that you play in that organization and having that reiterated by your manager saying, and this is how your role interacts or how your role impacts on the organization and making that really clear direct link for people. And as a manager, if you don't know that, then I think it's really, really important that you think about it, that you find out and that you can translate that vision for your team. It's very interesting. Um, what about, um, is there a difference between sort of generations, do you think? Perhaps, I don't know, young people who've not been part of the workforce, are they likely to be more specific about what they want, do you think, or not? It's, I mean, that's a, it's a really interesting question. And it's kind of wide open as well. And I found any time we talked about generations and the difference in generations when I was doing my master's and, and the research doesn't necessarily back up that there are differences in generations. So, for example, someone entering the workforce. So I'm a Gen X. So when I was coming into the workforce, I was probably thought as being challenging, as being very different to those those um, people from like the, the boomers. Um, so I think that the same issues exist with every new generation. And, and the other thing to think about as well is the generations span such a long time. So it's like 15 years or something for each generation. But I think when when people talk about new generations entering the workforce, there always is this this like conflict of what is it? Um, you know, what how how are they challenging or how are they so different? But I think it's important to bring it back to, well, what what are things, some things that are the same about us? And, and we're here all to share this one purpose of getting the job done and meeting the objectives of the organization. But the other thing I think to consider in relation to this is there are some people who enter the workforce in lockdown, you know, that they've never experienced what it's like to work in an office. And if I think back to my early days in my career, where that was a huge part of my social life was meeting new people at work. And I think one of the, the big challenges, and I, you know, I've seen arguments for and against this, and I've seen arguments in support of this and saying, actually, it's it's not necessarily backed um, by any any research. I really think it, it depends on the organisation. But the idea that all of Gen Z want to return to the office, um, that's kind of being challenged now. If you think on the one hand, yeah, it'd be great because you get that interaction. The challenge around it is that that the people that they need to be mentored by, the people who they need to learn from are not necessarily going to be in the office. They might be working remotely more of the time. To your point about uh, learning in the office, I mean, I just remember when I was a young journalist, that is how I learned, you know, people just being around people, uh, people taking the time to kind of like not literally hold my hand, but kind of virtually hold my hand, um, you yeah. know, explain how things were done, have patience, you know, without that, I wouldn't have been the journalist I became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. And I think, you know, um, just being around other people, you kind of absorb how things are done. You hear people on phone calls, you pick things up, you can ask questions 
on little simple things that you don't really feel warrants a Zoom call or you don't really feel warrants uh, setting up something more formalized. You can just sort of ask in the office, oh, where can I find this? Or is there an easier way to do that? I'm trying to get this done. Um, and so I do think that it, it makes a difference and it will be a challenge for organizations to recreate that kind of atmosphere in, in the virtual or in the hybrid world. Yes, because I mean, that is so much part of, I imagine, part of retention and part of motivation, you know, so very worthwhile from your point of view, having a conversation about, you know, what being in the office actually brings um, yes. in a positive way in, in with yeah. regard to those, both those. Exactly. Yeah, because there are a lot of positives to being in the office, but it's what purpose are you bringing people into the office? So if you're bringing people back and they're sitting on Zoom calls with people who are not in the office or with clients because they're not going out to visit them face to face, like that has no benefit of someone actually being in the office uh, you know, so if you're bringing people into the office, it's to work collaboratively. It's to be around other people and kind of absorb what's going on. It's to come together to work for a collective purpose, as opposed to coming into the office to sit in in a you know a, a virtual meeting with other people who are who are not in the same location. So I think really having a think about it. And my clients often ask me as well, like, oh, what's everyone else doing? And my my response is always the same. It's not about what everyone else is doing. It's about asking what works in your organization. And it's about listening to what people are saying and then tweaking things as you go along. So checking in, you know, let's try hybrid for three months or let's try one day in the office or one day at home, whatever it might be. Let's try this for three months and let's collect feedback along the way and then let's review it at at the three month mark or at the six month mark. And it's like a continuous evolution. Like it's it's something that we should have been doing all along but maybe didn't necessarily have the opportunity or didn't really think about it. But but the listening piece, I think, is really, really important. Listening to what your own organisation are saying. And that helps with both. If you're going to listen to people, retaining them and, and keeping them on side, motivating them. Exactly. According to, um, there was an advanced survey, a recent one, saying that 85% of staff are facing burnout. I mean, that seems to me a huge number or a huge percentage. What about technology? Does technology help that or make it worse yeah i think it's it's, it's the double-edged sword isn't it technology and um, 85 percent is a huge number but at the same time i it doesn't really surprise me i think we've come through this terrible and i keep saying through as if we're, we're kind of through it finally um but we we've kind of gone through this entire experience and so in some ways yet yeah, technology has hindered us because if I think about working remotely, working from home, your laptop is there and and you are accessible all the time. And and you always have been accessible all the time. And, you know, if you have your emails on your phone, if people have your personal number, if they're calling you or if you leave your work mobile number, uh, or if you leave your work mobile turned on, I think being so accessible can lead to burnout and you could be checking all of these different, you know, you're checking your Slack, you're checking your emails, you're checking your messages just to, to see, you know, and it kind of heightens our stress just to see if, if someone has contacted us and it's kind of bringing us back to work the entire time. And if I think back to my corporate days, I used to check my my work emails on my my work phone really late at night because just, I was worried in case 
something had come through from a client or from one of my team to let me know that something something had kind of happened or that I needed to address something immediately. And it definitely, for me, brought on a whole load of stress. So there's that side of it where we're in this always on culture. We are accessible pretty much all of the time. And in some ways, there's no kind of turning it off. And and I found that the pandemic, and this is, this is me included in this as well, the laptop is there and you just think, I'll just do this one more thing because that will that will get me ahead tomorrow if I just do this one more thing. But there's always going to be more to do. And so you need to set really clear boundaries around your technology, around your work time, and be really clear about what you want to achieve in any specific day. So I suppose the, the positives of technology is that they allow us to be able to work remotely. They It allows us to be able to work asynchronously, which means that we're not working necessarily at the same time as other people. So, you know, using channels like Slack and things like that, that, that someone can be working on a project and we don't have to be in a meeting with them. We can pick up where they left off or they can ask a question. We can work remotely, which means we can work from wherever we want. I was going to say home, but it just means that we can work really from wherever. And if we want to take breaks during the day, it makes it easier to do that. So rather than having a, you know, 45 minute to an hour or an hour and a half commute, that you kind of save that time and you you're able to get out for a walk in the morning. And, you know, like I say, this idea of putting boundaries in place, I think is really important around your technology so that you're not checking it in the evenings that you can put on. I tend to use uh, do not disturb on my iPhone quite a lot where I don't get any notifications at all at a, at a, during a specific time. Um, but then, you know, sometimes that has the opposite effect where I would keep checking my phone. I want to check and see, did I get a message? So, you know, again, there's this, this idea. Um, but I think technology on the one hand, for exactly the same reason, it allows us to work remotely. It allows us to work in a way that we haven't necessarily been able to before in a really flexible way as well. But at the same time, that brings its challenges in that we need to make sure that we are turning off, that we're not just always on all the time. So, yeah, kind of the, that double edged sword there, I think, with technology. Around that piece, what about uh, the role of employers? Because, you know, they don't presumably, you know, having your staff facing burnout is not where you need to be. So is it around a culture, do you think, about how, when, why, what technology to use? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to pick up on there, but I think the responsibility of em- employers, and if you, you know, you might've seen emails where the signature said something like, I'm sending this email out of hours and uh, I don't expect a reply. But if you're reading that out of hours, you kind of feel compelled to reply now that you've seen the email, you know. And so rather than sending emails out of hours, why not just put a delay on the email? There's there's that facility now with, with a lot of email programs where you can put a delay and say, why don't I send this? And especially if you're working with people in different time zones, you can set things up to send or sorry to um yeah to send the email at a time where it is like say first thing in the morning for them as opposed to the middle of the night so i think you know leading by example from from leaders i think is is really really important like this is what we do around here we and we don't just put it in email signature saying i don't expect a response because 
oftentimes we we do ex- well, not that we do expect the response but oftentimes we feel compelled to respond if we've read it or we're getting a notification on our phone if we have our notifications turned on so there there's that aspect to it but also this idea of um uh you know so creating an entire culture around that so you you kind of made a good point earlier louise about this idea of like the channels what channels do we use to communicate with each other so if i um out of the office for a day, I could still be working, but I don't have access to my emails. But, you know, I in the back of my mind, I might be worried that there's something, you know, I, there's an urgent email that, that I've missed or, or something like that. So I think having agreements in place as to how you will communicate with people. So um, you only need to check one thing. You only need to be aware that if someone sends you a text message, it means that there's something important. You don't have to actively go looking at your Slack. You don't have to actively check your emails throughout the day. Um, that there's, you know, that you have these agreements in place up front of how you will communicate. And that goes for meetings as well, because that's, I think, something else that is a huge contributing factor to us feeling so busy that we're in these meetings, but we're not necessarily getting our work done. But by being in meetings, it's very draining and it makes us feel like we're busy when in fact, you know, maybe we didn't need to be at that meeting. Maybe it could have been an email. Maybe we could have done something differently. Or if it was a decision that needed to be made, it can be just one or two people making that decision. It doesn't necessarily have to be everyone involved. Mm, very good point. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the cost of living crisis, because what kind of impact is that having? Because it could be, you talked about a double-edged sword. It could be a myriad of things. But what strikes me, it could be that because of the cost of living, people are staying in the same job, but also because of the cost of living, they're looking for jobs that pay them more. What do you think the impact is? Yeah, I think I think it could be either of those, Louise. I think those are two very kind of <laughs> a complementary but very valid points. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if you leave your job, you are likely to get a 20% pay rise because you're asking for it or you're going for a promotion or you are you know, you don't have to disclose the money that you're on now. So it makes more sense for people to leave if they want to get more money. But at the same time, they might perceive uh, a cost of living crisis as an impending recession. So they might feel a bit safer staying where they are. So there's a couple of different mentalities. And maybe it's exactly, it's both and, you know, and it's so it's both of those things are happening at the same time where some people are perceiving this as an opportunity for them to earn more money and other people are are worried that uh, they might not find something else that that they better stay where they are you know or or their company is treating them really well and it's not necessarily worth it to um to go somewhere else I, I did see some research last week that was carried out in in the UK that said people would be willing to take a 10% pay cut in order to be in a happier working environment I thought that was quite interesting. That is very interesting. I mean, that's, I suppose, you know, the, the bottom line on that is if you if you can afford to take that as well. It's really interesting, yes. is it? There's kind of like this knife edge, which I'm, I'm sure many people, both employers and employees listening to this will be feeling at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say it's impacting on some people more than others. I know certainly here in Ireland, and it's not it's not just Ireland and the UK, it's globally that this is happening, you know, and and, you know, it could be the, all of the deferred purchasing that we had. It could be the impact of the, the war in Ukraine. 
Um, but certainly here, the, the price of groceries has increased. The price of fuel has increased. Um, the price of utilities at home has increased as well and is continuing to increase. Um, just before we, because um, we haven't got, oh my gosh, time flies on these podcasts. Um, let's just talk about pay and motivation because it's not necessarily yeah. pay which motivates people, is it? No. And I was reading something about this actually over the weekend. Um, it's so interesting because there are so many studies that when you pay someone, it actually ends up, it kind of demotivates there, or, or at least pay is an extrinsic motivator. It's something that that's outside of us that we strive for. But if you pay people, it it diminishes the intrinsic motivation that we have. So if you set targets for people, so if you say financial services, for example, if you set really, um, really tough targets for people and you pay people based on the targets that they reach, it diminishes the intrinsic motivation that they have. So I think that's that's a really, really interesting concept. If you want to keep people motivated because of the pure joy and interest in the work that they're doing, then I'm not saying don't pay people any money at all, because that's kind of that defeats the whole purpose of work. (laughs) But if you pay people enough to take money off the table, um, then and and that you this is a tough one. I think this will take a while to change. But if you if you take, you know, these kind of quarterly incentives away as well. So it's not that they're just going for short term gains within the quarter. It's that they're building this entire culture where it people are doing things because they enjoy it, because they're they're doing the work that they really, really enjoy. They believe in what the organization is doing. They have a purpose around that and they feel really motivated to work then. Oh gosh, it's um it's I read some of that research and I thought that was absolutely um fascinating. So final question, I suppose, does there have to be a choice between workforce happiness and productivity or do they actually go hand in hand? They absolutely go hand in hand, Louise. Like for me, um, you know, it's being happier work is not just the right thing to do. It actually does drive productivity. I can't think of the number off the top of my head at the moment, but it is in the region of around 30% increased productivity by creating happier working environments. So it's not a case of choosing whether you want your workforce to be productive or whether you want to, um, whether you want them to be happy. And in some ways, I think sometimes, you know, going back to your earlier point of the carrot and the stick, sometimes using the stick to help people or to force people to be more productive creates unhappier working environments and therefore a decrease in productivity. So it has the opposite effect. So I think it's really important to first think about how do we create that better environment where people can thrive, where people can really fulfill their potential. And then the productivity will follow. Like, there, I mean, I have so many productivity tips I could share as well in relation to like the kinds of things that we can do, which also can lead to happier working environments. But for me, yes, they absolutely go hand in hand. It's not an either or situation. It's a both and. And and finally, I suppose um, to end up this end this podcast, I mean, it's all been about retention and motivation. Um, I kind of, your, your top tip to what would be your main thing for employers to focus on if that's what they want. They want to keep their people. They want to motivate them. They want them to be happier. Yeah. Can I, can I sneak in three top tips? <laughs> and it goes, it goes back to what I said at the start. So the values alignment piece is critical and then need satisfaction at work. So satisfying people's needs for autonomy, relationness and competence 
and they were going to they're going to have some additional needs as well. And then making sure that people have the opportunity to work fully to their strengths. So identifying what those strengths are and allowing people to work to those strengths. It sounds simple, but I know people will have lots oh, of so work to be done wherever they this are. Is, this they? is it. It's simple, but it's not easy. Thank you so much for talking to us. It has been fascinating. Uh, So many insights for both employers and employees. And I'm sure lots of people will go and listen to your podcast, which is called Happier at Work. That's it from this one. This is series two of the Working It Out podcast from Advanced. I'm Louise Minchin and thank you for listening.